It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's a, a sports, sports rush, rush with Brad Ruff. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Mark, 11 yards, touchdown! Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are incredible! Listen to me, I'm older and I'm wise. Yeah, well, you're half right. What is this, amateur hour? This is gonna be huge. I believe this is gonna be our finest hour. Just when I think you've said the stupidest thing ever, you keep talking. I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard. That boy ain't right. The simplest way to put it, I have problems. Welcome to the alleged show. Ah, yes, a little China Grooved here on Tuesday, taking you home. It's time for your daily local sports fix from 4 to 6 here on 1380 The Fan 100.9. The Sports Rush, alongside Adam Lundy. I'm the coach, Shannon Griffith, sitting in for Mr. Brett Rump, who's in Detroit, preparing to call the Detroit Mercy versus Purdue-Fort Wayne Horizon League tourney game tonight at 645 in the pregame. Tips off at 7. Plus, tonight is high school basketball sectional. And it's ironic that we're having sunny, warm, blue sky weather for the start of sectional tourney here in the state of Indiana as usual, we are accustomed to major storms such as blizzards or tornadoes, one or the other, but not this year. A little bit different, a little bit more. My style, blue skies, birds singing, sun is shining, but those games get started up tonight out at Columbia City and Carroll as one of the two uh, destinations for some Summit Athletic Conference teams. And the Indiana Hoosiers take on Iowa tonight. In a big contest coming back off a big win over the Purdue Boilermakers on Saturday. It's going to be an interesting game for the Hoosiers to see how they respond down at home tonight after that big win. And right now we got some spring baseball on the TV as spring training is in full swing right now. Are you just uh, openly admitting that we watch TV during the well, show, Shannon? Well, I have to because when they say, how did you get that? Usually it's probably off the ticker. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I've enjoyed watching some of these games because you got the new rules, right? you got the new rules with the pitch clock, 15 seconds if, there's, uh, if there are uh, no runners on, and 20 seconds if there's our runners on. And I've already seen some automatic strikeouts by batters who are not ready to go within their eight seconds. One was ironic. I can't remember the two teams were playing. Here's the scenario. Bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases loaded, and the, the batter gets called out for a third strike because he was not ready by the time allotted him as the batter. I mean... Uh, commentators alike have really taken hold of that new rule and how it can change the concept of the game. But here's the one thing that we've learned as well. It has sped up spring training games as much as 20 minutes thus far, accomplishing what Major League Baseball is trying to do in terms of the speed of play. 
and I like it because there was always too much. I don't know. I, uh, the pitcher trying to get inside the head of the batter by stepping off the mound or, you know, hitting the rosin bag or flip it when you had a hot pitcher, a batter calling for timeout all the time. I thus far have liked that rule uh, in uh, spring training. It's going to take some time for the players and pitchers to get used to it, but they're going to get used to it pretty fast. Hal, what are your thoughts on that new rule? I don't have any problem with it. I, I do think that I think there was a little bit of a problem with too much uh, dancing around the yeah. bo- dancing around the box, too much uh, you know stepping out of the box, too much yeah. too much routine, too much uh, adjusting the gloves, too much adjusting everything. Honestly, well, they used it in a tactical way to either break. Mo- they're trying to break yeah. momentum. Yeah. A pitcher that's really hot that's throwing you know a lot of strikes and such. You know the batters would try to start getting in his head and and vice versa when. A uh, pitcher maybe was struggling some, and you know they had the you know a reliever up in the bullpen. He'd step off the mound, grab the rising bag, throw it back down. All these things. So thus far, I've read has sped up the game by as much as 20 minutes, which I think is great for Major League Baseball. Um, because as a fan of the game, when you get into those games and you're sitting there watching a game, it gets to the point where it gets ridiculous. You know, and I like the fact that they have to get rid of the ball within 20 seconds if you have to run her on. You know, no more multiple stand. You know, stepping off the mound. You know, with a runner at first base or no throwing over and such. So, I like that rule thus far. The other rule that I have liked is the no shift rule because it opens the game up for more offensive play and defensive play because you can no longer, you know, play the percentages of a batter. You know, he's going to pull it 98% of the time to the mm-hmm. right side or the left side. So I like that aspect of it. Now, the shortstop and the second baseman can still cheat the bag at second base. They just can't go beyond it. Yeah. But um, for me, again, it's another rule to open up the offensive aspect of the game. And uh, Thus far, you know, and the Mets in Houston, 8-4 right now, and I can't see if that's the top of the six or what there, but... Top of the ninth. Top of the ninth, I'm sorry. You're fine. Um, but I like that aspect of the new rules. I wish they would have done it sooner. I like the aspect, too, of the bases being bigger because I do think that will help decrease, I think, some of the injuries that you see with base running and uh, all those things that can happen. With a shorter or with a shorter square base. Yeah, and I'm hoping it'll uh, maybe lead to a couple more steals. Yeah, uh, I, I'm a fan of the small ball. I like getting players on all the bases mm-hmm. and just uh, keeping them going with uh, small hits. And we'll see more of those now with the shift band as well. I think that was one of the most. Uh, disappointing things to me as a fan when I would go to these Major League Baseball games and uh, you would see uh, a hitter and they would make solid contact. It would be headed right towards the outfield and you think, oh, that's going to get down for a hit and there's a guy standing exactly where the ball lands and it's just... It's or, really deflating. Or in, be- in between hitters, you kind of run to the concession stand to grab a little more refreshment, so to speak. And you were not worried about missing a bat because you figured it was going to take at least five minutes for that batter to <laughs> either hit the ball or strike out based upon uh, stepping off or, you know, the batter calling time. But, you know, I, they've been doing this in the minors as kind of their area of testing. And... uh 
you know, we're going to have Mike Nutter on today. We certainly are. I mean, we're going to have someone that we can ask a yes. lot about this stuff. Yes, and I'm interested to get his take on it and other takes on, you know, how does the roster shape up for the 10 caps now that all their prospects are probably most of them at least are out in Arizona. Um, but we'll get a little bit of that later on here during the second hour. Um, you know, I know Rumpy kind of covered this pretty extensively yesterday, the Purdue-Indiana game. And I thought most of the conversation that he kind of took on uh, that was pretty spot on in some respects. I like the fact that Jalen hood Shafino stepped up, got challenged. He was challenged. And Rumpy's, I thought Rump was right. You know, here's a kid. You cannot say that he didn't hear the national media spotlight to talk about the Purdue guards and how they outplayed him in the first game and blah, blah, blah. And this kid came to play. And with Jackson Davis not having, again, a game where he looked, in some respects, out of short, you know, Jalen hood Shafino came to play and dropped 30 on him. And he was made, I mean, he. if you want to talk about in the zone, that was called in the zone. And he he was, you know, uh, by far had his best game uh, that night against Purdue. And, you know, going back with that game, too, it's just, it's interesting. Um, you know, that's what IU needed coming off a, uh, I guess you could call a disappointing loss to Michigan State. Um, but here's what I think a little bit is um, these last two games are very important for IU. And I'll talk a little bit about that here in a second. The other thing about that Purdue game was Purdue's bench really let them down. Uh, they did not have the game that they're accustomed to having from their bench. Uh, they were, you know, it's just one of those games that was odd to see uh, Purdue uh, struggle like they did in that ball game, especially at home. Now, Zach Eady, he had 26 points, which was his customary or not. Uh, Fletcher, lawyer, the Fort Wayne product, had 14. Uh, but when you get beyond that, you don't have anything. And, you know, Mason Gillis, the kid that has been probably one of their better players off the bench, he had only uh, three points in 19 minutes. In that yeah. ball game, yeah, the bench was I think three of thirteen didn't provide and provided yeah. uh, not a whole lot of points there. It was almost the opposite of what Indiana had happened to them up at Michigan State. Remember, because we talked about their lack of bench productivity uh, that night as well. Uh, that happened to Purdue, uh, but the Purdue shooting was just brutal. They were thirty five percent for the game from the field and twenty one point seven percent from three. And I'll tell you what, um, the Hoosiers, honestly, in this in this game against the Purdue Boilermakers, they didn't have the best bench production either. No, but when you have Jalen Hood Shafino going off for thirty five points, exactly, and that I makes mean, up for it. Exactly. So the starters were all on fire for Indiana and the Purdue Boilermakers, who needed their bench players to right. get it going against those hot starters. They they couldn't get it going. But that's the one thing with IU is becoming either they're hot or they're not. And right. you can't they're going to have to find how they get that production from other people uh as they go on, you know, the Johnson kid who's been Xavier Johnson's been out now for I don't know how long. What is his status because that took Trey Galloway off the bench and more into a starting lineup. 
But the reason why I think these next two games are are very important for IU is if they could beat Iowa tonight in Michigan, I think Saturday. Those are both home games. They are seven. They go. There are seven and two over the last nine games of the season. Makes them, I think, twenty-two and nine overall. To me, my feeling is that is solidifying them as a, I think, a pretty good, solid four seed in the tourney. Um, and I think beating Purdue and then coming back and beating these uh, Iowa and Michigan on uh, the, to finish up the season for them uh, gets them that four seed. And they may be a five, but I think they're more legitimate of a four seed ba- based upon being a hot team at the right time. Now, of course, everything can change come the, b- the Big Ten tourney. You know, they will have to continue that into the tourney as well uh, to see where they get. Purdue, however, you know, have been – Defined as the number one seed in the in the 64 NCAA tournament, uh, right now they're projected to be a number two seed. So they've lost some luster. Can they pick it up in the in the Big Ten tourney and turn it around and get on fire? We'll see. Uh, but it's going to take a uh, take a couple minutes for that to happen uh, to see where these two teams finish out because Purdue goes on the road to Wisconsin, I think Thursday. And that's a big game. We'll talk a little bit about that in the second hour. Did you see this? Atlanta, the Falcons cut Mariota to basically save $12 million on cap space. Now, uh, their quarterback there is a kid from Cincinnati, a reader, redder, I believe. I can't remember his last name off the top of my head. But the reason I bring that up, does that impact the Colts? Because is Atlanta positioning in themselves to go out and get them one of the top quarterbacks and do they make a pitch to pick up that first selection away from the bears now most don't think that will happen um they do think they will try to move up into the at least the three or four slot you know if the if of course if the uh colts move uh but uh, a couple mock drafts have Atlanta moving into that number one spot, making a big trade with Chicago so they can uh, s- uh, potentially select one of them. But the other one is Houston. You got to keep an eye on Houston because they want uh, uh, that first first pick as well. So it's going to be an interesting time as we go through here the next uh, few uh, months of March uh, leading up to the draft. And you've got the combine this week weekend starting down in Indianapolis, so that will be an interesting uh, dynamic to see these quarterbacks uh, produce, uh, what they run, how they throw, how they do in the interviews, and such of that uh, of that matter. But uh, that's one to keep your eye on to see if the Falcons try to do something. Now, is Mariota a possible signee for the Colts in the sense that? If they need a backup quarterback, he may not be a bad backup because he does have – I know you're giving me that look, that look like, nah, I don't like that one. But the reason why I said that is is the fact that he does have the uh, the mobility and he's probably a, a, uh, a training to be that backup quarterback the rest of his NFL career or he may just hang it up. I mean, they're already projecting Carson Wentz is done that he's going to give it up, which is 
fascinating to hear within the last, what, two to three years, he's already calling to give it up. So time will tell on all this, and we'll see what all that goes down. But I know you've got some top headlines from the sports world today, so I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Adam Lundy. All right, let's get into today's top headlines. College football leaders are meeting this week in Indianapolis to consider three rule changes that could shorten game times and reduce the number of plays during games next season. The changes under consideration include running the clock after a first down is awarded, except in the last two minutes of either half, eliminating the option for teams to call consecutive team timeouts, and carrying over any fouls to the next period instead of finishing with an untimed down. What are your thoughts on this, Shannon? I like the one about the first down because that kind of takes on the, I think, the NFL rule, if I'm not mistaken, uh, whether it's only in the set in the last two minutes. Um, I also agree that they need to cut TV timeouts down because I think that also extends it. Now, I know the TV world and those people are going to say, you can't do that. we got to pay for these billions of dollars that we're giving them. But I agree, you shouldn't be playing an NCAA football game that takes three or three and a half hours to complete. And I agree with speeding the game up. Got a lot of uh, Chicago Blackhawks fans here in the fort. And uh, this news just broke in the last hour. The Chicago Blackhawks have agreed to send star winger Patrick Kane to the New York Rangers in exchange for two draft picks. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have informed running back Leonard Fournette, a key piece in their Super Bowl victory, that they will be releasing him prior to the start of the new league year on March 15th. Mm. The Los Angeles Lakers expect to reassess LeBron James's injured right foot in two weeks to see how much progress he's made, but the timeline for his injury return is expected to be beyond that. James suffered the injury in Sunday's win over the Mavericks following a drive on Dwight Powell in the third quarter. Lakers entered uh, at 29-32 and 32 and are a half game back of the final playing spot. And uh, be careful out there if you're going to be working with any kettlebells. San Diego Padres starting pitcher Joe Musgrove suffered a fractured left big toe after dropping a kettlebell in a weight room accident <laughs> yesterday. Ow. Yeah. Big yeah. ouch there. Uh, he's expected to be out for at least a couple weeks there. Uh, at least. That was a, those are, that does not fun. I've dropping, dropped a few weights in my days on my foot. That does not tickle. And the Blackhawks saying uh, Kaner... On to the Rangers. That's been highly speculated throughout the year as the Blackhawks look to, de- you know, basically uh, tear down the roster and look further. Because Jonathan Taze is the other one that they've been trying to move, but he's been out with some illnesses related to long-haul COVID and something else that he's been dealing with. So doubtful if they'll even move him. But thanks for those headlines there, Adam Lundy. We're going to step aside. When we come back, we're going to talk with Victoria Jacobs about the High school sectionals that start in the Summit City tonight, and that will happen right after we come back here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. High school sectionals start tonight in and around the Summit City, and two sectionals of interest are in Columbia City and Carroll High School. And to give us some insights on those two sectionals, as possibly some other time permitting, from the Journal-Gazette, their beat writer for all things high school sports, Victoria Jacobson. Victoria, can you hear me? I can. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Great. Well, you know, I'm still a rookie at this broadcasting stuff, so I have to I have to make sure that everything runs perfectly uh, in sync because I usually have trouble with hitting the wrong button sometimes. But thanks for jumping on here this afternoon to give us some lowdowns with high school basketball starting and it's kind of ironic outside to see sunshine and blue skies at the start of the sectional basketball tournament 
Usually, well, you know, it. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say usually we're hit with a major snowstorm or something of that magnitude, but to see sunshine and uh, blue skies, so forth, it's uh, kind of a nice change of scenery. Absolutely. Uh, so I'll be heading over to uh, Carol this evening. Um, so we're going to see Northside versus Carol Part Two. Uh, so we're all uh, I'm intrigued to see how that one goes. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good game and. Uh, of course, they got the Cowboys Snowball game prior to that, and I would look at that sectional. Uh, you know, I think uh, as far as teams to watch, I would say you're right. Northside and Carroll would be the two top teams in that sectional. However, they both play each other tonight, and the winner of that game will get Snyder, and the winner of the Cowboys Snowball game will play Northrop. Uh, it, you kind of at times get a little frustrated when you see two of the top teams in the sectional having to face off against each other. That uh, that is something that we hear year in and year out. Uh, as far as especially in a situation like this where there aren't that many teams uh, with winning records, to see them play each other so early. Uh, but I will say that in this sectional, even though we do have uh, teams, you know, like Snyder, like DeKalb. Um, well, really everybody except for Carol and North and Northside. They don't necessarily have great records. Um, for example, uh, Northrop is four and eighteen right mm-hmm. now, DeKalb is six and fifteen. But a fair amount of those teams have still been competitive even in those games where they didn't come out with a win. So we could still see uh we could still see some intriguing outcomes and you know, DeKalb has been three and one in their final four. Uh, so maybe things aren't quite won't be quite as chalky as we're, we're expecting. Well, yeah, there's no there's no doubt that there has been some parity uh, across the Summit Athletic Conference in basketball this year, irregardless of record uh, at times. I mean, tonight you've got Northside and Carroll, which is the predominant top game. Tay Johnson and his abilities, I mean, he's a great talent all around. Uh, he's a guy that can take over a game on the court, and he's proven it before. What are you looking for out of that game uh, tonight with those two teams? Uh, well, I actually haven't gotten to see a ton of Carroll this year. only seen a couple of their games in sort of more tournament format. Uh, so it, part of it is just that I'm excited to get the opportunity to get to see a little bit more of them. They've uh, Im- improved a lot in the uh, SAC standings and just their record from last year. Still a pretty young team, uh, so excited to see you know what they've got right now and, and maybe a little bit of a hint of what's to come. Yeah, and I North think, side, go ahead. Uh, Northside is thirteen and nine, and they're a team that a lot of us expected to be really good this year. They have a ton of talent, uh, but they've just had so many different injuries that have affected them at the beginning of the season, in the middle, at the end. Uh, so uh, we haven't really seen that full Northside team all together at one time. Now that being said, even though they're thirteen and nine. I've had, it's kind of funny when you're in my position, you don't get to see a team every night. You get to see, if you're lucky, four or five of their games over the course of the season. I've tended to see Northside on their really good nights, (laughs) uh, the really exciting nights. And so I've been there when Brashawn Bassett had the night when he was hitting, when he was lights out from three. Uh, I was there the night that um, Eugene Young Jr. had his great night. So Mm -hmm. every time that I've seen them, Northside has had a different player uh, step up. Um, not just Tay Johnson. And so it it could be a night where 
hey, has a fantastic night, or somebody else steps up. And if that's the case, I think they'll be a really hard team to beat in this sectional. Absolutely. They, by far, would you would classify them as having the best talent if they come all to the come all five of those guys come to play, they're probably one of the better teams in the Summit Athletic Conference. Now that that sectional feed will play in the regionals versus the Kokomo sectional winner, and that always will be a, a unique uh, sectional coming out there. But enough for the Carroll one tonight. Let's look at the Columbia City matchups because that one to me is probably from sectional play, probably one of the better sectional brackets within the summit city you have wayne versus new haven now wayne's 17 and 4 new haven is 11 12 um you know wayne has had an unbelievable season mm-hmm. and as it's kind of one of those things where you come in saying oh they're going to be so much better this year and then they really were <laughs> yes know? they kind of lived up to the you know to you know even the hype that i was saying and totally exceeded even even my expectations. Uh, so the first thing you do have to note, though, is although they did beat New Haven earlier this season, New Haven's 11 and 12, that was only by looking up my notes here. It was pretty close. Oh, yeah, it was 69 to 62. So right. that as, as much as Wayne should be the favorite there, it's not going to be an easy out getting past New Haven and Darian Brooks. Uh, and then, you know, the second game of the night is Homestead uh, versus Huntington North. Yeah, that's going to be a good game. Is uh, a game that uh, I shouldn't say good, potentially. You know, uh, they played earlier in the season, uh, I believe, in week one, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Homestead had a pretty good victory against them. Uh, I would say it's looking as if there could be, uh, you know, a Homestead-Wayne matchup for that sectional title. Mm-hmm. And that's that's definitely kind of, if, if everything goes according to chalk, that's what we're expecting to see. And Homestead and Wayne played each other uh, in their, when they met in their regular season uh, matchup that went into overtime. Um, and uh, Wayne ended up winning on a last second, literally last second shot. Right. <laughs> um, Javon Lewis Jr., in overtime, and so really to say who's the favorite in this uh, when they meet again, uh, it's really anybody's ball game. Well, now, right, Homestead's yeah. got Jamison, I believe, and Kepke, if I'm not mistaken. Those two kids have been the two predominantly top point getters on the year. Is that correct? I think uh, Kao uh, Pricky. Yeah, um, Kao Pricky. Yeah, that, uh, and so. Uh, Yes. Now, Jameson had a pretty good night uh, last Friday against Norwell in the regular season finale. Had I, I believe twenty three points in that one. Right. And that was as good as I have seen him all season. Uh, and Norwell was able to pretty effectively shut down Kyron uh, Kaopuki, but uh, in that game, but you know, we we know that he can shoot it from three, and when he's effective from outside, that can give any team a a great shot. So. Well, that you know, that sectional I think is going to be uh, whoever comes out on top of that sectional will be pretty battle ready to step into that regional. Now they will face uh, at the Logansport Regional the team that's coming out of the Carmel sectional. So you're going to get some of those indie teams up in this way, uh, and that sectional is pretty tough. So that regional game at Logansport could be another tough matchup, depending who comes out of that Columbia City sectional. 
Absolutely. And, you know, in, at least in recent years, the Indianapolis teams have had a lot of success against whichever team it is uh, from our, you know, Fort Wayne area um, in the regional. But, again, since there's so much unknown, we don't, we don't know which teams we're expecting to see out of um, out of either out mm-hmm. of either area. So. Well, there's there's a, there's always a chance that you get that a Cinderella uh, type of team to come out of one of these two uh, sectionals this year. I highly doubt that will happen. Uh, I'm looking for Homestead and Wayne to play each other, and then I would say probably uh, Northside playing the winner of DeKalb versus Northrop. At least that's who I've got down, but. Uh, Victoria, I really appreciate you kind of jumping on here uh, this afternoon to kind of give us a little bit of a sneak peek at some of these sectionals. There's quite a number of them going on within the area with other Mm -hmm. Summit Athletic Conference teams, but we'll try to catch up on those a little bit next week as we or a little bit later this week once we get some of these games uh, settled and we know a little bit more coming out of these brackets. Sure, sure. Anytime. All right. That's Victoria Jacobson from the Journal Gazette, and thanking her for joining us this afternoon here on 1380 The Fan. We'll be right back. This is the Sports Rush here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Taking you home on a Tuesday here on the Sports Rush, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. The Comets road trip was not very friendly to them this past weekend, dropping all four games on their southern swing and uh, don't look now because the T- Toledo Walleye, one of the hot teams in the ECHL uh, division right now, is coming to town Wednesday. And the team the Comets are up about five points on comes in on Friday. That's the Wheeling Nailers. And joining us now on the guest hotline is the head coach of the Comets, Ben Boudreau. Ben, how are you doing? Yeah, you know, I'm uh, I'm doing good. It's good to be back home for sure. And, uh, you know, today's the start of a new week, and we look to press on and uh, hopefully learn some lessons and, uh, you know, turn our attention towards tomorrow night. Well, not to ruin your day, but I'm sure you have already had time to process this. Ty Failahaber signed with a PTO with Milwaukee uh, the other day, and he is up in the AHL. That's a good for that young man, but uh, on the other end of it, it's like, that didn't need to happen right now. <laughs> you know, um, timing is everything. Uh, and you look at Toledo and when they've got on their run, they've got a lot of their healthy bodies. They've got a full lineup. And much like us, when, when we're healthy, that's when we've had a lot of success. And um, sometimes it, it comes and goes. And, uh, you know, for us, we're going to make hay when we've got the squad. And unfortunately, we didn't do it this past week. And so now we're going to be facing, um, you know, some guys that are, integral in our lineup that we're going to be without this week but um like every professional hockey team and professional coach you got to find solutions so um for us that's uh, that's what we're in the process of doing well right and it's hard to you know when you lose a young man that's giving you 63 points on the year and been your predominant leading the ehl in assist at 49 uh you just don't go out there and pick somebody out of the crowd it's a you know it's a different process what about uh, Luca Berzan and Ryan Peranto? What what is our their scenarios or situations for us? Well, Luca's playing every game in Cleveland. He's a regular right now, and if you follow uh, the NHL team in Columbus, uh, you know that's that's Cleveland's affiliate. They've gone through a lot of trades, a lot of injuries, and so you know that's depleted their depth pool. So as far as Luca, it's indeterminate. Um, mm-hmm. You know what. He- what his uh, timeline looks like, but he's a point of game centerman that makes a difference in the lineup. So, 
you know, if he's back, it would be a welcome addition, no doubt. And, you know, we all know that Parento, um, you know, who's a, who's a great goalie, uh, especially after getting the sports center, that number one save, he got called up and, um, you know, right now until, until he's healthy and, and Edmonton, or sorry, Vancouver and their system's healthy, uh, you know, the timeline is, uh, again, indefinite. So okay. for us, um, you know, we don't have any answers as far as when they're coming <laughs> back. So we got to focus on the guys that we have here, yeah. uh, that are healthy, ready to go in our lineup. Yeah. I know that's, that's a part of the ECHL. And like I said, when those young men get those those type of uh, opportunities to get called up, you pat them on the back, shake their hand because that's what they you know work for. And uh, yeah. unfortunately for you know the teams, because you look at Indianapolis right now, they've kind of been on a you know a downward trend. And if you look what's happened with the Blackhawks and what they've done over the last few days, that ultimately affects Rockford, which ultimately affects Indy. A hundred percent. And, you know, again, for me with, with experience, when you're healthy, it's, it's the, the team that you have heading into the playoffs. You got to get to the playoffs first. But, um, you know, like we, we said, we were missing our Comet defenseman of the year last year. I thought that was a big impact felt when we didn't have him. And, you know, for this year, if, if we have everybody healthy, we, we've got a great team, a really mm-hmm. strong team. And it depends, you know, on one, what week you catch us. So, um, there's no excuses. I mean, we had a healthy roster this past weekend. We just didn't uh, score goals. But again, there's still 20 games left in the season, and a lot, a lot can change with NCAA and Canadian U Sport graduates, uh, and not to mention major junior players as well, all becoming available. So okay. that's where you look to build, uh, you know, your your roster from from here on out. Absolutely, and and also kind of get an early start on the other next year. But we won't worry about that right now. What, looking back, I know you've had time now to kind of process these four games because when you're in it and you're jumping from town to town and game for game, it's hard to you know, sometimes to wrap your head on around some things. Looking back at those four games now, uh, what you know, kind of what were some things that you know came out to you in that in those four games that said, "Boy, I wasn't expecting that." Well, I'd, I'd be concerned if we didn't play well, but I thought we played well in all four games. And one thing we really haven't struggled with is, is scoring goals. And this was the first week um, that we struggled with, with scoring goals. And defensively, you know, I thought we were pretty good. We only gave up, uh, you know, two goals on the Wednesday and, uh, you know, three on Friday, three on Saturday. And then when we did get the goal scoring, that's when our defense kind of lapsed. So, uh-huh. um, you know, again, I just thought uh, especially Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when you look at the statistics, I mean, we, we out chance, we outshot. Um, you know, the other teams, the only thing we didn't do was outscore. So, you know, it'd be of concern if we weren't playing the right way and we were losing by a large margin, but, uh, you know, we just didn't find it the back of the net. So for us, it's, it's finding a way to penetrate and get through and just keep doing the, the things that we've been doing that are, uh, working for us. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I watching the two games down in Savannah, um, for a better part of a period and a half or so, the ice was definitely tilted. In, in your favor, because I, I, I don't think Savannah got out of their zone for one time for at least oh, seven or eight minutes. Uh, it yeah. was just a failure to get the puck in the net. Yeah, and that was the frustrating thing is, you know, you look up at the clock and they, they got two goals and seven shots, and then you've got 25 on the clock and you're still got a donut in the score column. That, that can be a, a frustrating thing. Um, sorry. That's okay. I, Completely understand, my man. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, no, it got frustrating, um, for sure. And, uh, uh, but I know we're a good team. I know we've got a lot of offense. So, 
um, we'll find a way to break through. We just got to keep going. And Boudreaux has stepped up here of late. He's been on a little bit of a streak goal scoring wise. And, you know, now that you've got about, what, 20 games left in the season, you're five up on uh, four or five points up on Wheeling, uh, who's right on your heels there. Now you're going to be playing them in, oh, what, I think three out of the next four or five ga- uh, games. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, they're coming up, and these are all going to be huge, huge divisional games. So, um, with 20, 20 games to go, especially with one game in hand, I mean, these are these are games that we got to have. Now, as in this time of year, is this where you have to your your veteran players have to set the tone when it when it comes to these type of scenarios where you've got a team sitting there right behind you? And at the same time, you've got games coming up against them, including with Toledo, uh, that they have to set the mindset, the tempo of these games. Yeah, I think we just have to control what we can control and take it a, a day at a time. I mean, we can't be worried about a 20-game a span just because, I mean, things fluctuate from week to week mm-hmm. right here. So, um, you know, for us, we, we know we got three big games here this weekend, and uh, Toledo is absolutely surging. They haven't lost in regulation, I think, in the last 11 or 12, and uh, we've dropped four in a row. So the story is, you know, two teams going in two different directions right now, and uh, for us, if we can find a way to get the two points tomorrow against a division rival, I'm hoping that uh, kickstarts us back uh, going the other way. Well, we got them right where we want them, is a famous quote, I think, pertains to this situation. You got Toledo right where you want them. A little overconfidence, a little cocky coming to Fort Wayne. Maybe it's time to turn the tides and get on a streak here, Coach. Yeah, it's always a great battle with them. And uh, for us, when you're losing, you just look forward to getting back onto the uh, you know, the next game. And it's, it's good that we play Wednesday instead of having to wait five days before we do it again. So absolutely, um, we'll be ready for tomorrow. That's for sure. Ben, thank you for jumping on. I know we had Shane coming on, but he was a little bit under the weather. So we definitely want to revoke his passes in the Coliseum to keep him away from the boys. <laughs> hey, it's no problem. Actually, tomorrow may be the first game I think he's ever missed. Oh, um, man. Because he's pretty sick. So, uh, you know, for, for Shane, I'll fill in any time. All right, buddy. Well, good luck this week, Coach. We'll be at the Coliseum to watch you take on not only the walleye on Wednesday, you got the Nailers on, on Friday and Iowa coming in on Saturday. So good luck this week, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks so much, Shane. Appreciate right. it. That's Ben Boudreau, the head coach of the Comets, trying to get the boys back on a winning streak. You know they've been outscored in the first period by a 13-goal differential, Adam. Wow. That's a yeah. tough one to come up and and when you're getting off to those type of starts. But hopefully they can right the ship and get themselves rolling. Yeah, definitely hope they can do that. Hey, um, uh, I've got a couple giveaways here oh, that if well, we want to if we want to go them. ahead and get started. Well, what I'm going to start off with uh, any fans of the Doobie Brothers out there? I Are, see uh, Shannon Griffith raising his hand. Well, I actually have today. I have two pairs of tickets to see the Doobie Brothers. At the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum on June 23rd of this year. And uh, we're going to give away two pairs. And all you have to do is text Doobie to 46862. That's a pretty good uh, uh, name to remember. No one's going to forget that one. Certainly not. And we're going to pick two winners for that today. Um, because we didn't pick one yesterday. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, we'll do that. We'll pick a winner here in the next uh, half hour or so. So text Doobie to 46862. That's the Parkview Medicine uh, text line here at the studio for the Doobie Brothers coming to town this summer. But right now we're going to step away. This is the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. 
Welcome back to the Sports Rush here on Tuesday. Thank you to Victoria Jacobson and Ben Boudreaux. They're the first hour. And, of course, we've got those Doobie Brother tickets for everyone. Two tickets for the Doobie Brothers. Text Doobie to 46862 on the Parkview Sports Medicine hotline. And we'll have a winner for you here in the next few minutes, I'm assuming. Adam, is that correct to say? You got it. I've got uh, two pairs of tickets to the Doobie Brothers live at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum uh, on June 23rd of this year. And all you have to do is, once again, text Doobie to 46862. And I am going to be picking the winner here in the next 20 minutes or so. So stick by your phone if you happen to be the winner. And, uh, yeah, good luck. And rumor has it we may have another one at another point here. Another ticket giveaway, not the Doobie Brothers per se, but something else that may come in. But you got to stay here. You can't turn the dial. Stay right here on 1380 The Fan as we'll be right back with the second hour of the Sports Rush here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM.